we're actually going to discuss the crucifixion today. Um, and, uh, and look, look into that and everything. And, and, uh, as we're singing these songs, just so you know, that sometimes as we're up here playing and stuff, there's, there's a lot going through our minds of, okay, am I on time? Am I singing in key? There's all that stuff and I'm strumming and, uh, I'll speak from my, my point of view because I don't want to speak for these guys or, you know, bounding away on the drums. But for me, there's a lot that can go through my mind. Hey, did I shut off the, it's those things like, you know, when you're driving here, Hey, did I shut off the oven? And you know, that stuff can still go through my mind. You know, I don't want it to while I'm up here, but I'll, I'll be doing that. And I'm playing, wait a minute. Did, did I, am I on the right chord? All, all those things that can happen. And I, I notice as we're, as we're singing these songs, they're all about his grace and, and the fact that he died for us and that we can have a newness of life in him. And I didn't plan that, you know, when, when I sent the songs to Shane and Evan and the guys uh, that are usually up here couldn't be with us today. Uh, I, there isn't like this big, massive plan. It just sometimes the Lord just puts together songs and I can at the end of it go, huh, that's awesome. Yeah, he's much bigger than we are. Right. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than ours. So praise God. Uh, so. Uh, last week, or the last time I spoke, I think it was on Wednesday, uh, we uh, uh, we finished in uh, 23 verse 12, and uh, what we covered was uh, the mockery uh, of Jesus, the um, uh, the uh, trials, the illegal trials. We discussed that that uh, based on Jewish law, the Jewish leaders that were trying Jesus at night in people's homes is is illegal, and there was a whole list of. Uh, illegalities um, that that happened that night. So then they had to do another uh, appearingly uh, normal, uh, unheard uh, trial in the morning so that it would it would meet their standard of being where uh, the um, the Sanhedrin, the 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 ruling uh, Jewish tribunal uh, where they meet and also uh, that it would it would fulfill some of the other uh, laws that they had that they broke uh, and and so we discussed those uh, so if you if you want to go back and uh, I think it's on Facebook or if you want my notes I can email them to you uh, and you can look at them but uh, all the trials that Jesus faced at the at the hands of the Sanhedrin and also uh, Pilate and Herod were all just a sham. They were all just a show. There was a, a big group of religious leaders that wanted him executed. And it wasn't because of their great plan to get Jesus and capture him with their with their, you know, forks and knives and spears and everything. It was Jesus submitting to the will of the Father that that made him go with them. Because Jesus even said, and I I know I've shared this so so uh, you know, be patient with me on it, but Jesus said that he could have called legions of angels down there to to defend it, but he went uh, he submitted his own will because when Jesus said, you know, Lord, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done and, and not my, you know, let your will be done uh, and not my will. You know, that's that that's an important prayer for us to pray in our lives. So uh, and then and then we see that he was uh, he was tried by these people that are are just uh, in political sp spaces that are trying to make sure that they're keeping certain groups happy and you know, keeping each other happy with Pilate and Herod. So uh, essentially, um, where we pick up uh, in verse 13, he had just faced Herod, and once he wouldn't ha answer Herod, and all Herod wanted was a magic show. He literally, it says right in there, when you read verses 6 through 12, uh, that he was, he was excited to see Jesus because he wanted to see a miracle. Remember what Jesus said about miracles. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a miracle, and then he goes on to say the only miracle they're going to see is his resurrected body. You know, he's not here to perform magic tricks. That wasn't Jesus, what Jesus was doing. And when Herod learned that he wasn't here to, to do that and uh, that he wasn't going to answer him and uh, that, it, that Jesus fulfilled the scripture saying as a sheep before uh, the shearers is, is silent. So he was. When he fulfilled those prophecies. Herod knew, okay, the game's not on. So they mock him, they beat him, and then they package him up and they send him back to Pilate. And that's where we pick up in verse uh, 14. So Pilate is the uh, Roman governor that sits over Judea. Uh, Judea. So, uh, so now he's going back to Pilate. He'd already been to Pilate, and now this is the second time he's seeing Pilate. So verse 13 of Luke chapter 23 says, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said to them, you have brought this man 
to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod. For I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chasten him and release him. So as we're, as we're reading here, uh, this is the second time that he's facing uh, Pilate. And Pilate is saying here that the first time I told you I didn't find fault in him, you sent him to, to Herod. Herod said he didn't find fault in him. But because he wouldn't go along with Herod's uh, request for a magic show, they still uh, beat him and sent him back to Pilate. And uh, so now Pilate, once again, this is the second time Pilate stating that he finds no fault in Jesus. The only ones that found fault in Jesus were those that were falsely accusing Jesus. That Sanhedrin, the religious leaders that wanted to take him out because he was he was a threat to their political power and a threat to their uh, money scheme that they had where they were ripping off the followers of God and and uh, and and charging more than they should uh, in the temple when they came in to to buy uh, when they brought in an animal and they ah, hey you know what I know the sun looks good but we found this spot here so now you're gonna have to buy one of these temple approved ones and it's at an astronomical we understand inflation right now right uh, so it's an instant inflation right uh, and then once they get there, I'm like, oh, okay, you're going to pay for this inflated price of this 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 temple-approved perfect perfect lamb that you're going to offer as a sacrifice for your sins. Uh, but we can't accept your money. You need temple money. So they'd have to go exchange it. So they were making money on these exchange rates, everything. They had every different way, and they were ripping the people off. And he threatened, Jesus threatened what they had going on here. So they wanted him out of here. They wanted him out. So uh, that's that's what we're dealing with here. So when you see Pilate one time saying, I find no fault in him, Herod saying he doesn't, and Pilate the second time saying, I know I find no fault in him that, that he would be, you know, executed, all these things. Uh, so uh, that, that we read and we see here, it's important to understand why they don't is because there is no fault in him. There was no fault that could be found in Jesus Christ, God the Son. Completely sinless. The only one to ever walk on this earth without committing a sin. He came here. It wasn't like Jesus someday figured out he was God the Son. He knew and he came here with a specific goal of living a perfect life so that when he died, according to the will of the Father, that, that the, the sinless blood of the Lamb of God, who he was, when that was shed, that we could uh, we could actually be forgiven of our sins. Hebrews talks about the blood of bulls and goats; those things that were offered before they were they were just a shadow, but they they wouldn't truly remove the sins. It was it was a um, a process to go through, but it was a foretelling of Jesus, the actual Lamb of God, laying down His life for us and His innocent blood being shed for us. So there is there was no fault to be found in Jesus, regardless of what. Uh, the the lifetime or not lifetime whatever show it is uh, the the channel that's on there that has Jesus as uh, rising from the dead and then having a family afterward and everything none of that's scriptural that's that's all uh, fabricated uh, by the the world or or that that current um, that current group of people that were defeated so that they could try to explain away who Jesus was and how oh, he was a good guy good teacher. But he's not God like he said he was. He wasn't God in the flesh, God the Son walking with us. So uh, there is nothing to find. There's no wrong to find. So when Pilate says that, it's because there, there truly was no sin in him to find. So when, when he says that in verse 14, it's, it's the truth. So the, And then uh, verse 15 says, no, neither did uh, Herod. So he says, I didn't and Herod didn't. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says, And he was numbered among the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So uh, what we're going to see as we go through here is there was he was numbered among the transgressors, but he was not a transgressor. He wasn't a sinner. He was numbered amongst the sinners, but Jesus himself was not one. And he bore the sin, our sins, because he was, he went to the cross to cover our sins, to bear our sins, and so that he can make intercession for us, stand in the way between us and God. There's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. Okay, there, there is no other Savior. We were praying earlier, uh, Evan, Shane, and I, um, 
And uh, Shane, uh, sorry, Evan, Evan shared when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You know, Jesus made that that declaration, and when anybody would challenge him, he'd say anything. What he would uh, he would he would point them back to. Well, you can you can say what you want, but in the end, I'm going to lay my life down, and I'm going to take it back. And three days later, I'm going to rise again, and I'm I am coming back again. So we we can take Jesus Christ at His word more than anybody ever. You guys know it's having knowing somebody and being somebody that's a man or woman of our word is so important to us. There is no one more faithful to his own word than God himself. The scripture says that God honors his word above his name. That's that's a powerful statement. So to understand when Jesus says something, it means something, and we can place our faith and trust in it. So Jesus died uh, you know, among the transgressors in our place. Uh, 2 Corinthians verse 5, verse 20, uh, sorry, chapter 5, verse 21 says, for he made him who knew no sin be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So all the, the accusations they were making about Jesus saying, he is worthy of death. He is a sinner. No, he was numbered among the transgressors. And it says here and that, that he made him, God the Father made his son, uh, who know no sin, be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So all the accusations and then Pilate and Herod saying, we find no fault in him. That's because there was no fault to be found. So Pilate knew what was happening. Verse 16 says, I will therefore chasten him and release him. Pilate knew what was going on. And uh, he, he was, it says he was wishing to release Jesus. It says um, he, he wants to, to release him. Uh, and you can see in, in the different gospel accounts, it's, it's, uh, you can really get some good un- insight. And, and we'll look at it here. In just a moment, but uh, well, I'll read it to you right now. Uh, Matthew twenty-seven verses eighteen and nineteen. Uh, Matthew's uh, gospel account offers us some good insight. It says, verse eighteen of uh, Matthew twenty-seven says, "For he, uh, for he knew he Pilate knew that uh, they had handed him over because of envy." That was the thing. Wait a minute. He's going to take our power from us. It was that that power that they they had over the people that envy. They were envious because he was he was leading people out of the deception and out of the the um, the power that they were lording over the people. They didn't want that. So out of envy, they brought him uh, to Pilate, asking, you know, can you can you give us the permission to execute? We talked about this. They lost the permission to execute Jesus two to three years before. Um, Pilate gave the okay uh, because the the uh, the Jewish Sanhedrin lost that uh, power and they had to get Roman authority to do so. So Rome, uh, sorry, Matthew twenty seven eighteen. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While this is Pilate, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, Pilate's wife, uh, sent to him saying, "Have nothing to do with this man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him." The Lord was ministering to, to Pilate's sinful mind and explaining it, that it was very evident. And it says, have nothing to do with, with that just man. It says, that's what his wife said. Have nothing to do with that just man. That means the, the man that's done nothing wrong. Just. Remember we talked about, uh, we didn't put this together. You know what I mean? We just, uh, each, each Sunday we read a psalm. He read Psalm 7. He's a just God. And now here we, we have uh, Pilate's wife saying that Jesus Christ was a just man, perfect man. Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So Pilate found no fault in him. He knew the Jews had, had handed him over uh, because of envy. Uh, Pilate had his wife's input, and uh, they, although there was no reason to chastise him, Pilate's still trying. He's trying to come to a... a uh, a, an agreement, and he's trying to show a little bit of okay. Well, if I if I come to this point, maybe maybe I can earn uh, a little bit of, of of favor from them if I if I chastise Jesus, and I can and and we what we see here is the the uh, the response from them is that's not an acceptable answer to their murderous hearts uh, is what ends up uh, we end up seeing here as we read through verse seventeen. For it was necessary for him, Pilate, to release one of them uh, at the feast. So him, uh, Pilate, as as the governor of Judea, 
uh, made it a, a practice to gain favor uh, in the, the Jewish community because there was always uh, some strife between the Jews and the Romans that were there to kind of lord over them and, and to rule over them. So uh, as a way of, of gaining favor with them every year at the Passover, they would release a prisoner. Uh, and so uh, that it's a custom uh, that they would do. So uh, he knew that. So what he's saying is, hey, why don't I chastise this and, and release him to you? That he would be the prisoner that they would that he would release back. <clears throat> Excuse me, but that's that's not okay for them. Uh, verse eighteen says, and they cried. Uh, they all cried out at once, saying, "Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder." That's as insane as it sounds. That's what it is here. So he offers, hey, I'll chastise Jesus and release him. He'll be the one that I release. I'll still punish him, but I'll release him to you, and, and that's not good enough for them. Uh, so we, what we see here about Barabbas, we don't have a lot about him, but uh, we know that he's uh, an insurrectionist, and uh, he's involved in a rebellion in Jerusalem, and uh, he's charged with murder. So this group that's led by the chief priests and the rulers, uh, uh, who did they want? Who do they want released? The just one? Remember, even Pilate's wife, uh, God revealed to her in a dream that he was a just man. Uh, and Pilate and Herod both uh, all both said themselves, I find no fault in him. So they demanded Barabbas instead of Jesus. Matthew notes that Barabbas was a notorious sinner. Uh, the other gospel accounts, we can learn that uh, he was uh, charged with robbery, sedition, uh, rebellion, uh, and and murder. So uh, not necessarily your 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 model citizen that you'd want released from prison, right? You know, usually when someone's put into prison for murder, that's we don't want them running the streets again because what do they have the capability of doing that they've already shown that they've done? Murder, right? That's like the worst thing, and uh, they they would rather have him. So their intense uh, hatred for Jesus drove them to ask for a release of a troublemaker and a murderer that had taken a life instead of the one that had raised a lives back up, Lazarus, um, Talitha, who had died. You know, there, there were uh, no doubt, uh, you know, that, that, that word, there was no doubt that that word had spread that Jesus had raised people from the dead. But they would rather have the one that would take a life rather than the one that could give life. And uh, as Peter said in Acts chapter 3 in addressing a crowd, he says, you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That was shortly after uh, the crucifixion and resurrection. Peter, having been restored by the Lord after his failure of rejecting Jesus, restored him, uh, uh, restored him three times. Remember, we talked about this. The Lord prepared him for the failure and said, when I restore you, strengthen the brethren. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, now uh, has a ministry where he's preaching the gospel. After rejecting Jesus publicly, now he's preaching Jesus publicly. And at the threat and, and actually experiencing being uh, thrown into prison and beaten for the name of Jesus calls out and he's speaking publicly and the Lord uses him to preach sermons that are bringing thousands to the Lord. It's, it, that's amazing that, that God wants to redeem sinners and, and those that have failed him. That sin, sin is missing God's mark of perfection. That's what's the, the definition of sin in, in uh, kind of a simple term. Okay, makes sense coming from me, but um, the simplicity, missing God's mark. God's mark is perfection. We can't and all through the scripture, there was God knew all along that we were gonna we were gonna fail, and, and that we needed a savior. So when we read through the scripture, uh, and we see uh, that He prepared a savior for us, and and that we can come to Him, uh, is is amazing, and we can be changed just like Peter was, uh, and we can be used by the Lord then to strengthen the brethren. It's a blessing. So we don't know why Barabbas is the one they wanted, but. I think one thing that we can conclude is that he he was more a, a, he was more aligned with their murderous and uh, insane hearts. They said, "Give us that guy, that guy right there," because that insurrection, uh, you know, against Rome, they're more aligned with that. But they didn't see the fact that he had murdered somebody. They were they were like ignoring that fact. So because he his mindset was more along the lines of theirs. 
uh, they would rather have him than to have Jesus. So uh, that's how insane our hearts can be when we'd rather have sin and our own will in our life, that we'd rather reject Jesus and have that thing ruling over us that can destroy our lives, that can be a threat to us. That's uh, until we surrender our will to the Lord. And the Lord lovingly, that song, Sweetly Broken, you know, where, where God brings us to our knees uh, and breaks us sweetly. And we see the brokenness and we see the depravity of our sin and then he restores us. So uh, these guys are all out rejecting Jesus and they're asking and demanding the murderer rather than the just one. Verse 20, but they shouted saying, crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them a third time. So it's a third time that Pilate is saying this. Third time. Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were sorry, they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of the men and the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave the sentence that it was... It should be as they requested. And he released them to the one, uh, uh, and he released to them uh, the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. That's as crazy as it sounds. Another thing that's as crazy as it sounds as we read through here. So Pilate is still trying to release Jesus, but what we see here is he folds at the pressure of the crowd. He's in the position of leadership of that whole region. He's got the power of Rome behind him, but he folds at the, the murderous and the demanding voices of this, this multitude that's just ravenous, and they want him taken out. They want Jesus taken out. He failed as, at his duties as governor right here. He was in charge, but he let the people. It says right in there. So, uh, it says, uh, it says, um, and the chief priest prevailed. The, the, the voices of these men and the chief priest prevailed. He had the power. He could have dismissed them. We talked about that last week. He could have told them, I'm the governor. Get out of here. But he was too worried about being accepted and not causing too much of a stir that he went along with them. So he failed in his duties here. Uh, and, and because they couldn't, they couldn't, as we talked about earlier, they couldn't carry out uh, this, uh, this crucifixion. Uh, or, or this death sentence, they would have taken any death sentence, whatever they could have. Uh, but now they knew they had Rome, and they knew uh, that crucifixion is awful. And what is their demand? Uh, they say, crucify him, crucify him. They're yelling it from the crowd, uh, and they're demanding a torturous and horrible death. Crucifixion was absolutely brutal. I think many of us probably understand what crucifixion is here, uh, I, I will talk a little bit about the, the formality of crucifixion. But it's, the, it's, a, it's a cruel, public humiliating, publicly humiliating death. That, that someone would be nailed to a, a tree. Now, there were, there were four types of, of crucifixion. The Latin one, the one that we're most familiar with, uh, the the cross as a, a like a lowercase t. Uh, well, I, the the pulpit's over there, but yeah, you guys know what the normal the normal cross looks like. Uh, so the the one that we're most familiar with, there was an X that's known as uh, Saint. They call it Saint Andrew's uh, crucifix. That he was crucified in an X, um, and that's that's Simon Peter, uh, the one that we just talked about. His brother Andrew, the other fisherman that Jesus called at the same time. He died uh, crucified on a different type of cross than his brother Simon did when he requested to be crucified upside down, saying he's not worthy to, be, to die as Jesus did. There was a cross that was a, like a capital T also. Um, and then uh, there, the Greek one was like an e uh, it was equal length. It was like the, like the plus sign. Um, so it was equal length and, and width. So uh, those were the, the four types, but uh, um, uh, you know, when, you, when, you, when you consider, none of them sound uh, appealing. And what would happen uh, is to drive the nail uh, through the wrist right here, uh, because if you put it in the hand, it would rip out. But put it right through here, and you have the bones to support there, and then they drive it through, um, through uh, in the leg uh, where the, uh, the bottom of the shin and the, and the foot meet there. So in no way ever comfortable. It was it was meant to be 
a, a horrific uh, and drawn out process. Many, uh, many people in crucifixions would last two to six days hanging on a cross. Two to six days? Rome wanted it to be that bad. They wanted it to be overwhelmingly frightening so that they could make their point. Their point was, if you do anything to show that you're not in lockstep with us and you're not going to be obedient to us, that could be you. That could be you. And what they do is whenever somebody was was convicted of something, whether it was murder, uh, thievery, whatever it was, uh, they would they would nail that to them, whatever they were convicted of behind them on the cross. Or, or it, it would be there showing why this person was so that as people would walk along popular walkways that that Rome had the power over, they would be frightened and they would hear they would see, you know, a dead body hanging there. Or they would they would hear the agony uh, and the cries of somebody. It's it's that brutal. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I, how many times have I have we like as as parents? I remember uh, we went down to uh, to Disney, and I, I was trying to get my daughter to uh, uh, our oldest daughter Maddie. Uh, Jen and I finally got her on a ride, and I I realized I had failed uh, when we were on the ride, and it's the uh, Tower of Terror. Uh, so, so it's it's the Tower of Terror, right? And um, I went through it as a teenager, you know, uh, when when I was uh, my I think it was uh, oh it was our senior trip. Uh, so uh, uh, us as seniors and at Bucksport High, we all put money and we raised money together. And as seniors in high school, they shut down all of all of Disney World, and it was all seniors there. Uh, that we had full reign of, and they had concerts from uh, th- these these popular artists uh, and like real popular artists you know this was a national thing so they had some big top 40 top top artists there uh performing and uh so we had it's it's as as scary as it sounds you know a bunch of seniors in high school running around there uh but they'd shut it down in the whole night we'd stay up all night and go do these things so to me i went with my friends you know we're all getting pictures we're posing for when it goes down and uh, you know, it, it, the, what, what the ride is, is it's a, a Twilight Zone ride. If you haven't been on it and, and you, you ride on it, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a free fall ride. So you go through and you're slowly, uh, you know, on this track that, uh, in the building and you're kind of seeing all these creepy things from the Twilight Zone and everything. And then you read, you know, what they're explaining is you're in the Twilight Zone and then you're facing a black wall. And then all of a sudden these elevator doors, boom, they will open up and it's like, it feels like it's a thousand feet up and then all of a sudden the elevator goes down and you're screaming and everything awful idea to take i don't know how old maddie was uh also my wife is perfect with that stuff eight years old eight years old and we've got her there and she's like we have the picture and maddie's covering her eyes and i'm and i'm pointing like no maddie you gotta look out it's cool totally the wrong thing to do Totally the wrong thing to do. You learn as parents, right? The oldest ones go through all the horrific things, right? But so as parents, if you're walking in these areas, uh, now to get back to what we're talking about, not the foolishness of me trying to get my daughter to like an absolutely terrifying ride at the age of eight years old. Um, it's it's dumber. At The longer I, like the older I get and the more I look back, it gets dumber in my mind. But we learn, right? So, um these what what you would see you know along these roads and in the public uh, public squares or whatever were people that were in complete agony dying that's we're not going to take our kids and go for a walk and take a picnic by them we're going the opposite direction crucifixion was that bad it was that bad they're covering the eyes and the ears and oh man i didn't realize uh, they were going to do this so you know don't look up you're telling your kid don't look up and plug your ears and you know that it was that horrific and it made that much of a point that you know what i'm probably not going to go back to the market and steal or i'm not going to take that that whatever it was that belongs to rome because that's not going to be me they wanted that it was a horrific death to be nailed to a cross and uh, what would end up happening is after 2 to 6 days they would they would out of exhaustion because they'd have to pull themselves up to get a breath. So as they're as they're nailed to that cross uh, and and the Roman cross that they would use, they would come up and get a breath and sink back down, and they're pulling themselves up. And essentially, they would either die of heart failure or suffocation, or a combination of them both. Just just because of you know two to six days, and it might have carried on longer. 
just uh, just awful uh, of all those things. I've talked way too much, and we are never going to make through everything I need to. But it's important for us to understand how horrific these people wanted Jesus to be treated. He had already been beaten all night. But, uh, you know, they had, they had covered his head and, and mocking him, saying, "Prophesy, who hit you?" And and they uh, we know that he was. He was scourged. He was whipped 39 times with a, a cat of nine tails that would rip into your, your flesh. And they, uh, they would put things in there uh, that would grab your flesh and rip it out. That alone would kill people. Um, he was, uh, they, had a, they had beaten a crown of thorns into his head. He was, uh, it, what, what we see in the scripture says his visage, visage was marred more than any man. He was unrecognizable. Jesus was unrecognizable. They wanted that. They, there was no mercy. There was, it was absolute, the worst thing we can think of, crucify him. Crucify him. And, and, and what, he's, what he's saying here is, I've found no fault in him. And he says a third time, uh, he speaks of Jesus' innocence. He says, what has he done? But they are just raging, and they're demanding it. So we see uh, here that, that the great failure of Pontius Pilate, we spoke earlier, this is what Pilate's known for. In, in history uh, that, that you'll read of in a history book, Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever, you're going to look at and you're going to see that Pilate failed in his duties and allowed the mob to take over. They want him to be brutally murdered. That's what they wanted. Uh, another insight, uh, looking at Matthew's account of this, uh, this same uh, same occurrence Matthew 27 24 says when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all but rather that a tumult was rising he took water washed his hands before the multitude saying I'm innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it, uh, you see to it and all the people answered and said his blood be upon us and our children that he uh, then he released Barabbas to them and when he had scourged Jesus he delivered him to be crucified his blood be upon our children. The blood of the sinless Lamb of God be upon our children. That is frightening that they were willing to take the blame for that. We see when Jesus is on the cross, cross Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. We'll get into that here as I uh, push myself along here uh, to make sure I don't uh, get a uh, rabbit trail here. Acts 25, uh, sorry, 5, verse 28 says, uh, it's a saying, did we not, so this is the leaders, religious leaders, uh, trying to, to, to get uh, the apostles to be quiet. Says, did we not strictly command you not to teach in the, that name, Jesus? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. They forgot that they had said, no, we'll take his blood on us. Remember, you know, Pilate says, no, I'm, I'm washing my hands. He can do that. He just still failed at his duties. But uh, he, they, they said, you know what? We'll take the blood. We'll take the blame. Just give us what we want. And then they're saying, wait a minute. They've had some time to think about this. And like, oh, that's heavy. And in Acts, they're saying, you're trying to put his blood on us. And, and Peter had already called them out in Acts 3 saying, you killed the just one. It was you that 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 <clears throat> excuse me that wanted him. Verse twenty three tells us uh, the murderous mobs uh, voices of the mob prevailed, so they were insistent, demanding loud voices to be crucified uh, for him to be crucified. And Pilate delivered. It says he delivered them to him to their will. Verse twenty six. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrene who was coming uh, from the country. And on him, they laid the cross that he might bear it uh, after Jesus. So Jesus is so badly beaten that he couldn't carry his cross the entire way. So that was a, a way of, of, of punishment as the person actually had to carry the cross that they, that they were going to be nailed on. That's the heavy state. Everything about crucifixion was supposed to be the heaviest of statements literally physically heavy for the person so that they would by the sweat of their own brow have to pull the own the the the, uh, the instrument that was going to be used to mur to take their life they had to pull it themselves they had to carry that themselves in this case we read in John chapter 9 it says that Jesus did carry it we we don't see that in Luke's account 
four different accounts of the same thing. You're going to have different things added in. Will has shared with us several times. If four people have exactly the same thing to say, anybody in law enforcement is going to say, well, no, this was they, – they, they had planned this, and they all said the same exact line. You're, you're going to have different insights. So as these guys are writing – these things, um, you know, Luke is a physician, so he's 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 putting together all these things uh, and and sharing them. So John 19 tells us that he did carry it, but at some point the exhaustion and, and Jesus's injuries made him physically unable to carry the cross any further. So at this point, uh, the Roman soldiers and what they could do is they could use the tip of their spear or a sword. That was the method they would do it. They would put it on the shoulder of whoever they were commissioning to do something, and they had the power to make whoever do whatever for them for a mile. And it couldn't be questioned. The Romans uh, had that authority, so they would put the tip of the spear on the shoulder or the sword uh, on anybody, and then they could commission them to do whatever they saw fit. So uh, they could con compel him to go one mile. Remember what Jesus said? If somebody asks you to go one mile with them, go two you know, the, the, the Lord just saying, you know what, go even further, you know, blow their mind and go, go, go a second mile. So what we see here is Simon, uh, Simon the Cyrene, uh, uh, somebody from Cyrene. It's a Libyan city in, in North Africa. So he must have been there for the Passover celebration, a Jew there uh, to uh, uh, celebrate the Passover. And um, I what we see here and uh, some interesting insight on Simon we don't have a lot there isn't there isn't a lot you know if you if you grab a bible dictionary or a commentary or you look at those things you're not going to find a lot about Simon the Cyrene you might find somebody in a in a commentary or hear a pastor speak of him and build something around this but ultimately as far as information about who Simon is and what happened afterward there's very little detail but the little detail we have lends uh, a, a great insight into how powerful this impacted Simon's life. Because Simon is mentioned uh, as uh, in, in Mark 15, uh, Simon is mentioned as the father of Rufus, sorry, Rufus and Alexander in Mark 15. So it's important for us to understand that whatever happened here, that as Peter is telling uh, his gospel account to Mark, and my, Mark is writing this down, that Rufus and Alexander, uh, Simon's children, are known to the Christian church. So they weren't, they weren't there as uh, followers of Jesus. He was just on, Simon was just on his way. And the Roman soldiers grabbed him and, and commissioned him to, to do their will. And as he obediently did, very smartly, as they're carrying crosses, uh, we had an extra one in the back, you know, that type of thing. Like, no, no, we're good. I'll carry, you know, that type of thing. And uh, so Simon does this. And what we see here is that it changed his life. What we, what we can come to uh, is we see that uh, it changed his life enough that the Christian church knew who Rufus and Alexander were, his sons. He's from North Africa. Okay, the only way that Peter, uh, Peter, and any of these guys are going to know who he was is that there's a conversion that happened, and that Rufus and Alexander, his uh, his children, are known to the Christian Church. We can come to that conclusion. Like I said, there's when when we look at the scripture, that that conclusion there is it, it can be we can we can come to that. It's there isn't a lot to learn, but what we can see, the little glimpse we can see, is a man that was changed that day. That he now think about it. So you know, Rufus, Rufus is also mentioned in, in uh, Romans chapter sixteen, verse thirteen. Um, and Paul call, calls uh, Rufus chosen in the Lord. So it's it's pretty neat to see here. So as we look at Simon, he had no idea that he would be interjected into this type of cataclysmic event in this world. Imagine carrying another man's cross for you know for their guilt. Just think, you know this this person's guilty. I'm going to carry their cross. And uh, you know as I'm, I'm just kind of chewing on that, I'm like, wait a minute. Imagine carrying my own cross for somebody else to be nailed onto. Imagine how does that not profoundly destroy our heart and drive us to the point of what just happened? 
if I'm carrying a cross because somebody's got a bum leg and they're going to be nailed to it, that's one thing. But if I'm carrying the cross and then I realize, wait a minute, I, I carry, he could no longer carry that physically. So I carried that cross and then he, because of his love for me, died in my place on that cross. That was my cross to bear. But I, I actually carried it and then he was nailed to it for me. If you don't have goosebumps, my heart is just trembling right now just thinking of that. It's the same for us. If we, if, if we were in that, it, it, it had to dramatically change Simon's life. So powerful. Remember the things that, uh, that might have happened in our lives that finally brought us to Jesus. You know, might not have been a massive catalyst. It might have been, hey, we were born in the Christian church. We, I became a Christian at five years old, or I became a Christian here. We may not have the, the craziest of testimonies, but whatever testimony we have, God wants us to share it. But there is a point, uh, and I've, I've shared with you, we're, we're almost out of time, so we're not going to finish. We're not going to get even close to how far. I wanted to finish the chapter, but <laughs> I should have known better. That'll be tonight. Um, so... I I know for me, and I've shared this, so so forgive me. My my thing was I just was a sinful, just a normal guy living a life without God. I grew up in a, a casually Catholic family. I'd occasionally go to church, and uh, I had no idea about the Bible. I had no idea what it had to say. I had no um, understanding that that God wanted to have a personal relationship with me, and that He's not just some God up there that. At some point, my number is going to come up, and hopefully I've done enough good to cover the bad and know that, that, that God is calling out to me. And I heard the gospel message once in Calvary Chapel uh, when it was in Bangor on Somerset Street uh, next door to John Baptist High School. There was a, a building across the street um, adjacent to, I think is I think that's the adjacent one next to across the street. Anyways, um, from uh, John Baptist, and uh, I heard the gospel message. I accepted it. I intellectually accepted it, but my life didn't change at all. I kind of, I still went through the stupidity that this world has to offer, and I took up everything I could, went to college, lived the college stupid party life, did that, uh, and uh, then joined the military, went away to training, um, met this uh, beautiful blonde girl from North Carolina uh, in Mississippi, and uh, then at the end of our training, uh, she gets orders to go to Italy, and I get mine to come back to Maine because I was in the Air National Guard, and um, I'm like, wow. okay, there's nine nine to ten guys to every girl over there, and she's telling me this over the phone, and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that, that pretty of a girl, that awesome of a person, she's even more beautiful on the inside, I knew that, and, uh, uh, and I'm like, I, I felt, you know, there was that hopelessness of, okay, I'm going to get the letter. Or I'm going to get the call. Never came. Every day she's calling me and, and uh, we're calling each other from Italy. We're spending all the money we had. I worked at a horse farm um, and uh, I get money. We needed calling cards. You know, if you guys are too young to remember how prominent calling cards were, um, we would go through those and we're you know, going through those and we're mailing out things and uh, we didn't have FaceTime so we couldn't talk face to face and we're buying uh, plane tickets to fly. I did a bus trip to Carolina before she went there. I mean, we're, we're spending all our money just and uh, the Lord put us together. And the day we got married, I, I had flown over to visit and uh, the day we got married, uh, we, uh, we were supposed to get married back in the States a month later, but I flew over to visit for my birthday. Uh, and my friends must've known like John's gone. He's a lost cause. You know, we, we ought to rent out his room cause I was living with two guys and you know, we had, uh, the three of us had a, had a, uh, and a house together. And, uh, um, I flew over there to visit for my birthday and <laughs> never came back. So I never had to say those tearful goodbyes to people. But uh, so we decided to get married while I was there and uh, not come back and get married the next month. And all this is within nine months. Now, parents, you know, when you, you know, uh, your, your kid meets somebody from out of state and nine months later and they've only spent like a few weeks together and everything. It is scary. And I would be frightened if my kids present this to me someday. And who knows, you know, God in his grace and mercy was was uh, delivering to me the perfect wife. Um 
and uh, we got married uh, a month earlier over there. And I remember the day we got married, and that was the day that we were going to move into an apartment. And we're uh, forget, like I said, forgive me if you've heard the story. But as we're driving to that apartment um, from, so we got we got married. It sounds awesome that we got married in Italy, but uh, I won't I won't spoil it. We yeah, we got married by the the mayor of the town of Aviano. Okay, so it wasn't like we're on this awesome cliff, you know, over anything. But we did get married in Italy, and we we've got plates and pictures of of the the town square there. So it's it's still pretty cool. But um, uh, the uh, I owe her. Uh, I guess we got to go back and do something cool because we didn't really have a, a wedding. And she's yeah, she's she's acknowledging. Sure, we go back to Italy and go somewhere cool and renew our vows or whatever. But um, the day uh, after all that ceremony, we went to uh, her her work and. Uh, did the whole uh, reception? She did pound cake in my face, right up my nose, everything. It was, uh, it was impressive. But after all that, sorry, I, I like to give details sometimes. But so as we're driving back and we're finally going to what would be our apartment, we're uh, we're on um, the, the street in Aviano called Via Mazzini, and um, as we're driving there, uh, a block or two from our apartment uh, is Aviano Baptist Church, and uh, the Lord spoke more directly to my heart than I had ever experienced. And I be, I began to understand the voice of the Lord uh, so much better in my heart because he had just uh, mercifully ministered to me and shown me that he's ministering um, uh, throughout my life. But this was a powerful speaking in my heart, not an audible voice. I didn't see anything crazy, but it was a speaking in my heart, the Lord convicting me saying, you're now responsible for a family. Are you going to follow me now? I knew the truth and I was just rejecting it. You know, I was still living a sinful life and all that stuff when I was in college and everything. And uh, even after we met, I was just kind of just, just going and doing my thing. Wasn't taking my, any relationship with God seriously and seeking him. But at that point when God asked me and he showed me, I looked at Jen and I said, we're going to be in that church every time the doors are open. And she wasn't raised in a church. She had a belief in God and she's like, cool. All right. You know, he gives me a, a, that wife that's willing to just follow my lead. And we were there all the time. And, and that's where God, you know, caused it. And when I say I've been a Baptist church, it was like a whole melting pot, you know, because we're, it's a U.S. service men and women that are there with their families. So yeah, we had people, Methodists and everything. And that was like the closest thing we had to whatever we had back here. And we grew tremendously there. But that, that was, that was my, my coming to the Lord uh, moment. So we may have grown up in a Christian, Christian home, may have been gradual. Either way, Christ calls us. Uh, and uh, every answer, every positive answer to his calling uh, to salvation and, to, and to, to lay down our sin at his feet and ask him to cover us and to cleanse us from our sin, he's never going to look and go, you're not good enough. You didn't do this, that, and other. You're not dressed properly, all those things. When we come in a broken heart to the Lord, he's blessed by it. And he says yes, and he changes us. He forgives us at that moment. There's no like, okay, I got to get everything together and then come to, and present myself to Jesus as a perfect one. Then he can forgive me. No, it's all very much the opposite, right? It's the broken sinner. Remember, uh, probably a few months back now, the, the comparison of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, the Pharisees going up and, and saying to God how perfect he already is. You know, I, I tithe and I, I give and I do all these things. And, and uh, you know, I fast and, I'll, and I, I pray to you and I do all that. I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. And what the description we have of the tax collectors, he couldn't even lift his eyes up. He just says, Father, forgive me. And he just says, I'm a sinner. You know, he just, please forgive me. That's it. That's what God wants. And when we come to that point, I believe that Simon came to that point after what happened here. And that it changed his life. And that Rufus and Alexander were, were changed and they became known to the Christian church, his sons. It's just a blessing to see that God wants to change us and he wants to use us. And, and, and what we see here, what, what we're going to, we'll, we'll go with uh, in verse 27 is where we'll have to pick up. I apologize. I failed to, we would be here another 45 minutes if I kept going. So uh, we, I have eight pages and I'm on page four. So if you multiply that, so um, no matter how brief I'd want to be, uh, the, not only us, because we might be like, oh, cool. Hey, let's do that. We've got, you know, the children's ministry upstairs. 
in the battle zone of of uh, of the uh, nursery sometimes, uh, they would probably look at me with daggers and red eyes after this. So, so we'll stop here and uh, we'll pray and then we'll we'll pick up where we left off. So let's pray, Father. We are so grateful that you give us your word that we can understand uh, history. We can understand. Uh, who Jesus was, what he went through on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that we have you uh, being so gracious and loving to us. God, this is such a horrific thing to, to, to hear of and to read. And as we move forward in, uh, in this scripture to, to see the Savior on the cross and to study uh, you know, what was said and what happened, is uh, we understand that like Simon, he was on the cross in our place. Lord, help us never to, to grow uh, so familiar with that that we don't uh, understand the gravity and, and how powerful that is in each and every one of our lives. God, your scriptures say that you even said that uh, you know, Jesus speaking, saying that the numbers of our head, uh, the hairs on our head are, are known by you. You know us that well, each and every one of us. We're not just a number. You love us. You died for us, each and every one of us. The sinless one. These sinful men made declarations of the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. Yet he was, he was turned over to a murderous mob so that he could be nailed to a cross and die for our sins. God, thank you that you display the ultimate uh, display of, of love for us, that you laid your life down for, that your son died for us, for our sins. Lord, help us to take that with us today, knowing it with the joy of knowing that our sins are gone. And let that joy flow uh, in our hearts and through our lives that no matter who we're talking to, in our family, our friend, they may have seen that we've gone to church for 25 years. We have nothing to gain more than just a, an eternal brother or sister to sing Lord, there, there's, there's no, uh, we will be blessed here uh, by seeing them come to Christ, Lord, but that they would, uh, they would desire that peace and that, that joy of knowing that sins are forgiven and that you uh, make all things new. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. We pray that you protect us and be with us as we leave here this place. Bring us together again safely next time. In Jesus' name, amen.